0: Everyone, another Monday night at at the table, my podcast. I'm Bishop Sue Hopper Johnson, and I'm delighted you're here as we explore uh, really three things: the texts of Lent, the scripture texts of Lent, uh, the um, Wesleyan Covenant prayer, and really how both of those things inform our lives and ministry and 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 work uh, as we live out God's call on each of our lives, whether lay or clergy, and. Um, so I'm delighted this week uh, this is Michael Ellis Michael is our ministry intern at our Center for Congregational Excellence and she is a student at Candler and Michael kind of tell us about how you ended up here and uh, you know what what your experience of life and uh, your sense of call are
1: yeah um, I am a cradle Methodist I grew up in the Methodist Church in Ohio I um, was set to do a whole engineering thing. God had other plans for me in undergrad um, and seminary became an option. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess this is where we're going. Um, And so part of the second year experience at Candler is we do a contextual education internship. um, And I was lucky enough to get a placement at the Center for Congregational Excellence with Sam Halverson and the whole team. Um, and so I've just been figuring out, um, a different sense of leadership than in the local congregations. Um, but it's been amazing and so fun. Um, and so, yeah, I,
0: I, um, you and you'll point out this is your first sermon i that's a <laughs> yeah. like welcome to the uh, <laughs> yeah there, I,
1: home, right? <laughs> I had a
0: similar first sermon experience yeah terrifying uh, but what i appreciate and what i want people to listen for is just the attention to the text and um it brought to mind years ago uh in Florida, they have clergy kids gatherings. They have retreats where families go with their kids. So all the clergy kids get to know each other. And we got a flyer in the mail and my daughter, Samantha was six or seven at the time. And, um, she saw it and she said, do we have to go to this? If I go to this, do I have to preach? And I was like, no, it's a retreat, honey. There's, you know, you don't have to preach. And then she got kind of indignant with me and she goes, well, mommy, you know, I could preach. I have a Bible. <laughs> and I was like, you know, babe, I'm just delighted to know that you realize that to preach well, you have to have a Bible because <laughs> I hear so many sermons that are self-help or, you know, out of the latest uh, pop culture, um, you know, uh, as Rachel held Evans and others say, um, you know, this was a lot of times what we hear preached is uh therapeutic, moralistic deism, that it's just kind of this, you know, God's out there. How do we feel good about ourselves? And what I appreciate about your sermon, Michael, is it is textual and it is um, the questions. And to me, good preaching, and the folks will hear this, the questions are elicited by the text. To me, that's what biblical preaching is. And I really appreciate a style that really takes the text line by line and plums what's going on, I think they'll see the depth of research that, you know, you've looked into exactly what's going on in this text. But then uh, that's the, you know, to me, the exegesis, which is reading out of the text, and uh, the biblical study, then the homiletics is the fancy word for how do you link the text to real life? How do you make it relevant? And I think you show us a good model for how you do biblical study and teaching, and then and kudos to Candler for helping you learn that. But um, I think that that is the heart of good preaching. And I've always kind of been um, a real, I love uh, somebody who just plumbs a text and really takes me into it and, and asks questions out of it. So I thank you for that. And um, kind of tell me what the process was like, what you enjoyed and what you found really difficult in the whole sermon writing process.
1: Um, well, I started writing it before I knew it was going to be like this whole thing of sitting down with you. (laughs) So I was like, okay. And then I found out and it kind of put pressure on it for me. And I was like, okay. I'm like, we're going to play with it. We're going to put it Uh in a sermon and we're going to, um, we're just going to go with it. And, um, but the process was, I mean, through my study, I learned other, like I learned, um, the whole, like, I had never had a sermon that told me about the Greeks and the importance of the Greeks at the beginning of this passage. Yeah,
0: we'll talk like, about that. I thought, yeah, really well like,
1: done. oh, wait, yeah. no. Like, I'm, sense, I'm, it? Yeah. <laughs> like, I've never heard this, so people are going to hear it now. Right. Um, but no, it was actually, it was a, like, it was a, it was a good process, and um, I loved, my friends loved that I asked them for feedback, and so I, like, making them feel special, too. But, right, right. Um, but no, it was it was definitely a, a long process, and um, I you know I'm a perfectionist, and so letting go of a little bit of that when recording was yeah. difficult. I was like, can't make it sound too scripted, right? <laughs> um, but I
0: love that you talk to your friends. I mean, to me, the best sermons are a group project. Uh, I think the best preaching I ever did many times in churches I would have. Right after the sermon, I'd invite anybody to stay who didn't have a regular Sunday school class, and it it was a door for brand new people to the church or people who were visiting, and just to sit down and get their feedback. Uh, Many times I would have a Wednesday night, and we would talk about the text, and that opened my eyes for writing the text for Sunday, but then to have a group to give me feedback or what they heard or what they emphasized was, to me, often more fascinating than what I presented because it, you know, how they heard it, what it elicited in their minds. Um, to me, that's what makes a good preacher is to, is to be in conversation and, you know, to, to know where people are coming from. And so uh, any of the preachers watching this and any of the laity speak into your preacher sermons and let them know you're willing to uh, be part of that. Cause it really is better. When it's a group process, and um, yeah, I, I remember. Here's one example: when I was um, preaching an Advent text, and you know, Advent about waiting it was a sermon about waiting. And I had a, a man in my church. He had no Christian background. He was rough as they come. He had just he had been in jail several times, and just was really searching. And he was part of a group I had, and and he said you know, Pastor Sue, is, is that waiting like a waiter in a restaurant? And I was like, I've never, I've never thought about that before. And then he said, I, and that really helped my sermon preparation because I thought, how many times have you been in a restaurant and had a bad waiter? And if you're in a really fancy restaurant, the waiters are unobtrusive, but they're watching your every move. And I thought, from God's perspective, how am I waiting on God? You know, is God like, hey, hey, where's my check? Or I need a refill. Or, or am I at prayer and, and seeing the nudge of the Holy Spirit? So, his, you know, so sometimes it's those conversations, I think, that make a sermon and that take you to places that you wouldn't have thought about. So, um, yeah, a group project sermon, I think, is always good. Uh, Here's Michael Ellis's sermon. Uh, The text is John 12, 20 to 33. And um, so let's listen to it, and we'll be back in a little bit and talk with her more about it.
1: Today's Gospel lesson comes from John, chapter 12, verses 20 through 31. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered others said an angel had spoken to him jesus said this voice was for your benefit not mine now is the time for judgment on this world now the prince of this world will be driven out and i when i am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die this is the word of god for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Full disclosure, this is my first ever sermon to like actual people, other than the six friends I made listen to me practice and my bathroom mirror. So if y'all wouldn't mind praying with and for me. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So there is a lot going on in this passage and I'm going to try to get through a lot of it because it's really good stuff. So please bear with me. I find myself feeling for the disciples many times as they struggle to understand Jesus's teachings and what is going on, but I really feel for them here. I want you to think of a time when things were going really well for you. Maybe you got your dream job or car, maybe you just got married and started a family. Or maybe even now, as we are seeing light at the end of the tunnel, with more people getting vaccinated, the flowers are starting to bloom, sun is shining you got that moment hold on to that feeling up until this point in the gospel things have been going pretty well for the disciples they've witnessed people being healed and fed and a person has been raised from the dead jews are being drawn to jesus and his message so much so the religious leaders are starting to get a little or a lot of worried and they just made a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Sure, people were plotting to kill them, but that's how much they were shaking things up. At the Passover festival, some Greeks, which is just the term to indicate non-Jews or Gentiles, so people just like us, but 2000 years ago, they've come to worship at the festival. They show up and ask Philip, If they can see Jesus. So Philip grabs his buddy Andrew to go tell Jesus what's going on. Now, scripture doesn't give us the thoughts and emotions of Philip and Andrew, but I'm going to take a wild guess and say they were probably in a good mood. The fact that there were Gentiles who knew enough about Jesus and believed his message enough to come and worship a Jewish God, at a Jewish festival, and they're asking to see Jesus, news of him was getting around, and it was making its mark. So imagine their surprise when at the news of Gentiles showing up to the party, Jesus starts talking about his death. When. The response Jesus gives the disciples just doesn't seem to match the occasion or the mood. Like I said, things were going well. In order to understand this, we need to look back at John 4 for a moment. In the account of the woman at the well, Jesus tells a Samaritan woman who is also a Gentile that an hour is coming when even she will worship the Father. So when here in chapter 12, Jesus says the hour has come, it's because these Gentiles were there worshiping the Father. Their visit kind of served as a sign that Jesus' hour had come. His earthly mission had come to fruition, so the next step is the cross. The next section of passage starts with the phrase, very truly now some translations read truly truly but the important thing is that in the gospel of john anytime this phrase or statement is used it's when jesus is trying to get people's attention he has something important he is about to say now yeah sure everything jesus says is important but very truly could probably also be translated as, pay attention. So he continues, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, I don't know for sure this is happening, but I read this as Jesus's way of easing into the so now I have to die conversation. Like, y'all know how a seed has to die to produce many fruit? Yeah, so I have to die now to save the world. Now, we know this is a good thing. We have the luxury of knowing how this story ends. We are on this side of it. Once Jesus dies and is raised, we get the gift of the Holy Spirit and are empowered to continue what Jesus has started. The disciples didn't have this same luxury. All they know is that their friend who has done some amazing things is talking about having to die. He continues, anyone who loves their life will lose it and whoever hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Pause. Did Jesus just tell us we had to hate our lives he sets up two dichotomies love versus hate and keep versus lose and I understand it but they're with the opposite of what we would expect I don't know about you but if I love something I want to keep it and if I hate it I don't mind losing it now maybe I should be used to Jesus flipping things and doing and saying things that don't make sense to me. But even still, I am left scratching my head. I think what Jesus is getting at is a similar sentiment that is echoed in the other Gospels. You know the one I'm talking about. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose it for Jesus' sake, you'll find it. It's found in all three of the other Gospels. Now the statement in John is a little different, but they're all getting at the same thing. He's talking about our eternal lives, not our earthly ones. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus, not faith in this world. If we love our eternal lives, we have to lose or deny our earthly ones hating our lives in this world. In a few moments, he's gonna talk about judgment on the world and the world systems and the prints of the world being driven out. I'm not sure about you, but I don't want my wagon hitched to something that is going to be driven out. Now, none of this means walk around this world hating everything and not enjoying your life. What it means is hitch your wagon to the thing that isn't leaving, Jesus. Jesus continues with another command. Whoever serves me must follow me. When we claim to serve Jesus and claim Jesus is Lord, that means following him even when it's hard. He's saying follow him as he is headed to the cross. But the command is followed by two promises. The first is that Jesus will always be with us. He's told us there's a loss and no loss is easy, but he is there with us through it all. The second is that God will honor those who serve Jesus. We get something out of this too. It's not all for naught. The one who created us will honor us, like making a parent proud. This next verse is one of my favorites of the passage. The Gospel of John has some great moments that I like to call Jesus's the human moments or very human moments. No. Now, we know that Jesus is fully human and fully divine, but in these moments, we recognize the emotions that we felt in our 100% humanity, no divinity. Like when he's resting at the well and... Irritable, because people keep asking him who he is, even though he's told them. And like when he experiences grief after the loss of his friend. This next moment is another one of these the human Jesus moments. He says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No was for this very reason I came to this hour. You can hear the stress of this statement and we can all understand it. Now, personally, I have never been sent to do anything close to the sacrifice Jesus knows he is about to make. But I have been called to do things I'm not the most excited about or that are stressful or I'm anxious about. When I started undergrad, I was on track for an engineering degree and a nice paycheck, and now I'm in seminary with very little idea what's in store for me. Or this sermon, for instance. I was asked to contribute to the Soviet series. My first ever sermon, archived and available for whoever wants to use it. Now, I guess technically I could have said no, but one, when you're the intern and your boss asks if you're willing to do something, what are you gonna say? No? You'd be braver than I am. And two, it really was an opportunity I couldn't pass up, a chance to speak to all of you. So despite my hesitations, here I am. Jesus knows why he was sent to the earth He knows what is about to happen, and in this moment, he is completely accepting it. Technically, I guess he could have said no. He does have agency, and he has the power to not die, and we've seen him skirt death before, but he knows what has to happen. It's his so be it moment. Like in the covenant prayer, when we say so be it after praying and surrendering to be used however god sees fit jesus is surrendering to how god is using him he knows what has to happen next and in this brief moment we see him wrestle with can i get out of this to know it was for this reason i came to this hour after this moment jesus exclaims father glorify your name And it is met with a response from heaven. The human yes from Jesus is meeting the divine yes from heaven. And spoiler alert, something amazing is about to happen. But we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. Jesus concludes his discourse with the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people people to myself. That's good news, friends. Back when Jesus tells us that wherever he is, his servant will also be, means that here, when he is talking about his resurrection, we who serve him are right there with him. We are with him embracing our death. On Ash Wednesday, we remembered our mortality from dust you came and to dust you will return. We are with him in hating our worldly lives. A number of us have given up something through the season of Lent, or if you're like me, you may have tried and failed a couple of times. Thanks be to God that grace abounds. But we take this time to turn from our earthly desires and focus on the journey to, and the reason for, the cross. We're all sinners and we've spent this season focusing on the parts of ourselves that need worked on, hating the parts of this life we are know are no good for us and focusing on the life Jesus is promising us. Some of us have committed to praying the Wesley Covenant prayer every day, practicing fully surrendering to God each time If you started at the beginning of the year, you've spent roughly 80 days praying this prayer. I'm impressed. If you started at the beginning of Lent, like I have, you're at roughly 28 days, give or take, based on when you're seeing this. Keep going. And if you haven't been praying the prayer with us, no worries, but I would encourage you to start. We are on this journey with Jesus from death to life, a journey that is all about surrendering. The resurrection is coming, y'all, and we as followers of Christ are going to be right there with Jesus as he is lifted up. Now we're not there yet. We still have more journeying and surrendering to do, but Jesus has told us what's going to happen. Just as John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus, Jesus is preparing those who follow him for the cross and the resurrection. Like the disciples, we may not understand it. We may be scratching our heads and wondering what is going on and what Jesus is talking about. But the answers are coming. Just keep following Jesus. Amen.
0: Okay. (laughs) Um, Michael, I talked to us, uh, I mean, I I really, you got me, you had me when you, you were talking about, you know, there's nothing in scripture, I think that's a mistake. Right, the, the, these these writers are way too intentional. So I've always wondered, well, well, why why are there Greeks there? What's that about? So talk to us about that. And I think you brought it out well in the sermon.
1: Yeah. Um, so especially in the Gospel of John, right? There's this whole idea that Jesus's mission is to expand the circle. Right? It's not just the Jews anymore. Mm-hmm. It's the Jews and the Gentiles. And so. Um, the Gentiles that Jesus has come into contact with, like the healings and all of that, they know about Jesus, but now these pretty much random Gentiles are showing up to the festival that is normally a Jewish festival Mm. and they are worshiping a God that is not like is not their own. And so the fact that Jesus's message has made it so far that these random Gentiles mm-hmm, are showing mm-hmm. up and searching for Jesus means that what he has come to do in his earthly mission, right, right like has, right. It, he's done it. So right. now it's time for the next thing.
0: Yeah. And it really brings to mind, you know, I love how Jesus says, I'm giving you the gift of the Holy spirit. And then he adds, uh, because of that, you will do more in my name than I can do alone. So I think that that makes perfect sense that Jesus realizes that now I I need thousands of people equipped to do this. And the, you know, and I love the theologians that talk at great length about how uh, the biggest reason Jesus lived and died was to give us, and he says this himself is to give us the gift of the Holy spirit so that all of these people will be equipped. Uh, And then as you get into acts and as you, you know, they are equipped by the Holy spirit, they know what to say. They are told where to go um, and so I, but, but I hadn't made that mark in this passage that, okay, yeah, it's time to expand this. And Jesus realizes that, um, the, you know, the, the die is cast, right? That, that now I've got to go do this. And, um, the time had come. The early, the earthly mission is done. I've got to go out and, um, and really, um, Open another chapter in this whole story that we see continued throughout the New Testament. Um, so, uh, talk to us about the seed dying imagery. You know, I bet I've read that, gosh, hundreds of times. It, it's at the graveside. That is always the text that, as as you're at a graveside and you're um, committing people back to God, that is always, always the text. So, uh, and it's, and it's a really powerful text. So talk to us about it.
1: Um, yeah. When I first looked at the lectionary passage for um, the Sunday that I was asked to do this, I was like, great, this is the one I have to do for my first sermon. <laughs> right, right. But, um, and as I was reading it, I was like, you know what? Jesus has a way of like saying things. And I'm like, I've always read this as easing into the conversation of like, I'm going to, so the disciples who have been following him, he's like, I'm going to die. Like, this is what has to happen Mm -hmm. and kind of explaining that in order for the Holy Spirit to come, like in order for Mm -hmm. this to move forward and to expand the way we need it to, this one seed has to die to produce many fruit. Mm-hmm. and of course if i
0: was a disciple i'd be like what are you talking yeah really about? <laughs> and that's usually that's usually how they responded but but i do and you know but it, for the gift of the holy spirit but also the power of a compelling death, right? Yeah. Um, and, and resurrection really <laughs> adds to the power. <laughs> <of a God.
1: laughs> I also <do> that too. <laughs> yeah.
0: But even just the death—I mean, you think of all the Christian martyrs—and the Romans really messed up when they started martyring Christians because that caused the movement. You know, when people saw that kind of faith and saw that kind of um, commitment. But when you add the Holy Spirit to the power of a death, you have a remarkable force unleashed. And and, and Jesus. You know, you pointed out well. Jesus describes this in cosmic terms. This is not just one death. This is this is the triumph, the driving out of the prince of the world. Yeah. Which it's there's so much going on here. But yeah, talk about the imagery of the prince of the world, and kind of calls it like it is. I mean, this world is 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 in bondage. Um, how does Jesus deliver it?
1: Yeah, he's just very much like he's blunt about it. And like, that's what I love about this passage too, is Jesus is like, y'all, these, the world systems and like the prince of this world, like they're going to be gone. Like they are, we are getting rid of that. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's gone. So why the power
0: is unleashed. Right. The
1: power is unleashed. So why in the world would you like, hold on to something mm-hmm. that's going away? Like, right. Do y'all not see that? Like, I mean, right. it's just, all of these things that, like we, sh- we like, need to die off and need we need to let go of, in order to like be a part of this story. Mm-hmm. Like, because if we're if we're attached to this worldly stuff that's being driven out, like where does that leave us? In the right, and,
0: and the huge trade off in every single human life. Right. Who are you going to serve? Yeah. And, and 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 that feeds right into the covenant prayer. I I am, I am, you know, I am at times reluctantly, but I am going to choose God's story of salvation and redemption over the lore of the Prince of Darkness. I mean, you know, and a lot of folks never, never make that. And I think that's what John Wesley was appalled about. But a lot of folks never make that because added to this, and then Jesus goes into this is how hard that is. Yeah that this is, um, this, this will feel like, feel like losing. So talk to us about your own life and how feeling, you know, a lot of times the Christian life feels like losing, right? Yeah.
1: Um, I, it's funny. I'm preaching over the same passage for Sandy Springs, where I also serve, Mm -hmm. um, this week. And I, go into a little bit longer of a story of like, I was in undergrad set to go and be an engineer. Um, I was planning on doing like good things while being an engineer, but mm-hmm. I was also gonna have that really nice paycheck that comes mm-hmm. with being yeah. a chemical engineer. right? Um, and that like status of like changing the world with math and science and like doing <laughs> all this stuff. And like, God was like, no, nope, you're called to ministry. Uh-huh. And I'm like, no no, we're not. No, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. want, I don't want that life. Right. Um, but way too many things like happened and fell into place. And then it was, no, you're going to seminary. And so I was like, all right, if this is, if this is it, it was, it was kind of one of my like so be it moments of like, mm-hmm. all right, we're going to trust, we're going to, we're going to go, and we're going to figure this out. And Right. Right.
0: And, you know, clearly if you align with a force that's trying to drive out the prince of darkness, it's going to have, you know, it is a sense of um, good versus evil. Um, There is a cosmic sense to this that I am aligned. And when I align, and as Jesus showed us, when you align yourselves against the prince of darkness, things get dicey. Yeah. and and we i think we all experience that in different ways uh, i had i was thinking i had a one of my dearest friends called me this week and so much is go health you know she has a critically ill sister she has her her daughter just you know has to have foot surgery or grandson broke his leg yeah they're just you know it's like all of this stuff keeps coming and and she texted me and she said um I, I I'm sure God's got something for me to learn from this. And then I kind of tongue in cheek wrote back and said, yeah, I'm sure he'll reveal it in the next hour. Cause we <laughs> never, you know, but then, then, the, you know, then, then, then I texted back and said, you know, maybe Jesus is sitting next to you as confounded as you are. I mean, the reality is that, you know, you're going to get stuff thrown at you in this world, which, you know, the curse, the brokenness, the the disappointment, the heartache, the, we're none of us exempt from that. And sometimes, like you emphasize, Jesus's promise is presence, and ultimately, uh, glory in the sense that God's story will be fulfilled, but maybe, you know, not, not in not in my lifetime, but I said, maybe, maybe Jesus is just sitting confounded with you. Maybe that's the solidarity of, of the cross, the solidarity that, you know, and I love how in Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews picks up that Jesus knows. He knows what it's like to face human limitation and that he was troubled. I love that.
1: That's why I love the very uh, Jesus, my V human Jesus moments. And like, those are what I cling to, right? Right. Like Jesus, Jesus cried when Lazarus died. Like I, so he knows that it's
0: right. sad when we lose people and when we oh, do things. And yeah, when one I, of my most, uh, if you want to annoy me to no end. It's pastors who who tell folks not to cry and to buck up, and you know, just they've lost their loved one, and I'm like, if Jesus cried, if Jesus cried, come right. on, <laughs> that you know, that is a human. And I have to admit, I had the I had the cabinet um devotional this week when we met one day, and um. I use this text and said, Jesus was troubled yep. and we're all troubled. I mean, you can't have, these shootings
1: out that, too. Yeah.
0: you can't have shootings and, you know, war and rumors of war. And then so you can't without being troubled and, and Jesus is troubled, yeah. you know, um, and troubled that, um, troubled that he is, has to be finite, troubled that he headed for death troubled at i mean what would it be like to have the religious authorities of the day killing you i mean I, you know we i think we're so familiar with this story that it loses its just sheer audacity and horror at the same I mean, time
1: like i'm like people aren't trying to kill me but if they were i would be freaking <laughs> out <laughs>
0: But the Prince of Darkness is still mucking around and still lures us. And it's still, it's an individual story as it is for Jesus here, but it's also a communal story. How do we respond? How do we work together? And, and um, so, you know, this, this text is just, I think at the core of the Lenten journey and the covenant journey, Um, let me be empty. Let me, Let me desire what you desire, God, knowing that it might have a lot of heartache that goes with it. And, um, but then, then the glimpse of joy. And I love how you said something really good's coming in two weeks, but, but the glimpse at the end uh, that he'll be lifted up. And then I love this phrase. And Jesus's greatest desire is to draw all people to himself,
1: Yeah,
0: all people. And so you okay. go back to your comment about the Greeks and the Gentiles. He really does want to draw all, all people us. to himself.
1: That's us two thousand years ago. Like he's saying it. Like we, yeah. he wants all of us. And right.
0: And that's enough.
1: Yeah. And if yeah, that I mean, means yeah. that I have to, if that means that I have to power up the prince, like power up against the prince of darkness, then you know what. Right. I'm going to do it reluctantly most right. times probably, but, but
0: don't do it alone. Right. That's alone. why you have your community of faith to cling to. And that's why you have the promise that Jesus gives us. His presence is enough and his power is enough. Yeah. And so, um, so what part of the, what should be our prayer this week?
1: My prayer is that, you know, we all can rest in knowing that we're not alone in this Yeah, that, like, things are going crazy Mm -hmm. Things just keep getting crazier, but Jesus is there and he knows. And that, that's some comfort. Yeah. We all find comfort from that.
0: Right. Right. And the promise that, um, that God has prevailed already. You know, I love, I love also in John where Jesus says, um, you will have trouble. You will have trials. I love that flat out. There goes the prosperity gospel out the window. You will have (laughs) troubles. This is hard. but And I always go back to the King James Version because I love it. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world.
1: Yep. We have and a, so,
0: so a, maybe my know. mantra this week is Jesus has overcome the world. And I just need to live into that yep. and take heart in that. So Michael, thank you so much. That's Tremendous so cool. job. Um, I am so excited to how God will use you in the future. Um, I am so excited. A uh, preview of our annual conference this year. We have um, 29 ordinance who we will ordain and 13 to be commissioned. And people may have questions about the future of the United Methodist Church, but you give me hope. And these folks, in times of trouble, in times of disconcerting uh, stuff all around, they are faithful and they are excited and they feel God's call. And they are, we are joining forces to fight the Prince of Darkness and to rejoice that Jesus has overcome the world. So blessings this week. Thank you again. Good luck on your second preach sermon thanks. at Sandy Springs <laughs> and um, look forward to just seeing your future and uh, so proud of you. And thanks again for being willing to do this and for willing your willingness to like offer this to God and um, even at your own personal uh consternation. (laughs) So anyhow, thanks a lot. Have a wonderful Lent and a blessed Easter. And uh, I hope our paths cross again soon. At the Table is produced by Sybil Davison and edited by Kim Drobes. Music is by Chuck Bell. Thank you. And I look forward to the next time we're together.